Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Tell us about this this thing coming up where Colorado's looking to get rid of some over-the-counter tags, or you've, you've, you kind of mentioned that to me in passing before. So Yeah, so it's kind of up in the air, but they just had one of their meetings where they like release what their plan is and stuff, and one of the things they mentioned was either massive decrease to the number of units and number of tags issued or getting rid of over-the-counter archery elk altogether. Oh, you got her, dude. She's down. Let's go. Dude, I just shot a deer of a lifetime. Freaking smoked him. Born with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. All Obsession Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to another Fall Obsession Podcast episode. I'm Sam. I'm your host this week. Thanks for tuning in. Our podcast is driven by Ridge Rock Hunt Company, and I'll talk more about them at the conclusion in our sponsor segment. Tim Burgess is my guest this week. He's our Fall Obsession Western Regional Staff Coordinator. Welcome back, Tim. Hey, good to have you. Good to be here. Glad to have you, man. So Tim is from, for our listeners who might be new to the Fall Obsession podcast platform, Tim's from Colorado, as I mentioned, one of our regional coordinators, um, and very educated in uh, kind of the Colorado parks, wildlife, fish realm, and uh, the licensing and everything. You, You do your job and do your research every year. That's not what this podcast is about. We'll have more coming up later. Uh, in the coming couple months as Colorado starts putting out some more of their their draw applications and stuff like that and opening that stuff up. But um, a lot of good content in in that regard in the past if listeners want to go back and and dig those episodes up. So, um, But what we wanted to talk about or kind of to kick off our conversation at least, um, Tim, you have a, a family farm up there in Colorado that you spend a majority of your hunting time give or take from season to season out on. Yeah. Um, 
And I know we've we've talked about specific instances where you've been out on that property and everything. Um, your the big buck that you killed a, a season or two ago was uh, was one podcast that we recorded. But I wanted to dive in and talk about the farm uh, because you guys seem to have a pretty a pretty awesome little operation going out there, or or some good hunting opportunities as as it may seem. So. Obviously, we don't. I'm not asking anybody ever to give away hunting locations or property locations specifically, but tell us about this this piece that you guys get to hunt. Okay, so yeah, it's uh, northeast Colorado, uh, basically right on the Nebraska border. Um, the farmhouse is like literally a half a mile from the Nebraska state line, and most of our ground borders the uh, Nebraska state line. So it's like might as well be Nebraska, but it's not. Which Kind of good, kind of bad, because Nebraska tags are a lot easier to get for deer. So yeah, I was going to say. What advantage. I, I, I would be shooting mule deer every year versus every five years. That's the that's kind of the downside there. But I'd be paying non-resident three, 400 bucks a piece versus like 40 bucks. So kind of a wish wash. We'll see. I, I don't know. It's one of those things that different states have different rules, of course. And so it's like, well, they're hunting the same deer we are. This is, you know, they walk across the road back and forth all the time. But yeah, that's the way it works. Um, it's mainly, so for production, we grow wheat. Um, so we have about 2,500 acres total between wheat and CRP. And then we rotate our wheat. So about 700 acres one year and 900 acres the other in actual production. Um, and so kind of how wheat works, just, uh, as you planted in, at least here, it's different, of course, everywhere based on your, your conditions and whatever. But for us, we plant in September and harvest in July when it's ready and just kind of go from there. Um, the last three years we've had a historically bad drought, like the worst ever. Um, and so our wheat crop has not been good. And then of course all the pheasants, um, have massively decreased because of it. And then deer hasn't been messed up too bad, but I'm definitely seeing less, um, larger bucks. And then I didn't get as much time to do none of our food plots for this year because they just didn't get enough water. So that really, uh, messed things up there. Yeah, no, I, I know the feeling. Similar boat down here in Texas too. So, um, so as far as your, you, you have whitetail and mule deer on the place. I'm assuming. Yep, we have a mix of both. And then, as for tags, there's like a couple different options. But it's there's a way to get archery. There's sex for any any deer. Then there's um, you can get a whitetail tag where it's a any any sex. Yeah, I mean, either sex, but it's good for, like, a really long time through multiple seasons. Because, like, generally in Colorado, most tags you get are good for, like, archery, muzzleloader, or rifle. They're not good for all of them. Whereas there's this one special whitetail tag. There's a either sex version and a um, doe-only version that are good through all the seasons. So you get, like, three months to hunt every year. So that's it's a good fallback, and I can usually draw that as a second choice. But, man, mealies are so much more fun. Oh, yeah. So with, with all this wheat production, and then you mentioned food plots being a part of that as well as far as when it comes to hunting, what, what tactically normally comes into play when you're trying to hunt deer, whitetail and or mule deer, um, utilizing either the wheat fields that are existing versus your food plots? And what, what, on top of that, what do those food plots look like normally? Yeah, so the food plots are um, sorghum is usually what we plant. So it's a uh, it's a cane grows when it grows it grows six eight nine foot high, 
um look has like little berry looking things on the end in a like a brush paintbrush looking style um so that's mainly more for the pheasants anyways but like we have a lot of fence uh, tree rows that are along fence rows and stuff so that's mainly where we're deer hunting and then of course in our crp fields too yeah um so crp is a mix of wild grasses and it's anywhere from knee to to waist high give or take depending on exactly what bush you're stepping over or whatever but um that's where most of our deer hunting is the the mule deer all kind of hang out in one area at least uh, most of the time that's where we me and my brother both killed the biggest bucks that we've each killed there and i mean if i had to shoot a deer that's where i'd go first morning every time i would i wouldn't even bother looking anywhere else first yeah um in one set of trees on one edge of a one edge of a um, crp field Gotcha. So what are some of the, some of the highlighted hunts or, or whitetails muleys that you guys have taken off over the years? So the all time is my brother's 2018, or 2018 um, buck. And it was, I want to say he netted like 158, but his gross was like 195. Wow. I mean, he was insane. I should have brought the paperwork, but it's a, uh, at the farm so his all all of our uh deer are paying at the farm so uh you know that one is just amazingly special and just huge it's kind of a one-off he got super lucky on the shot he hit it um basically right below the antler in the back of the head when it was running away from him um he didn't even know he hit it because it took it took him a long time to find it wow and so that was that was a pretty crazy crazy phone call that i got and pictures when i started getting them i was like what i wasn't out there that weekend unfortunately i was doing something with family but and I didn't have a tag, so we kind of leave when whoever has the tags kind of gets run of the place and just leave leave it that way, so we don't bump into each other, get in the way, and yeah, like um, last let's see, in twenty twenty two, my dad or I guess twenty twenty one, my dad had a um, deer, a buck, any buck tag, and he finally shot his first deer. He shot a little, uh, basically fork mule deer, but he had never ever shot a deer before just because of like back when he was a kid there weren't really any deer at the barn um at all no with whitetails or muleys or anything so it's been a huge transition to where now like i said you can we can get a tag every year no matter what the tag's good for and whatever so right so so you just said that there there weren't any deer or hardly any when he was growing up so mm-hmm. is the wheat production really what y'all have to credit to there now being huntable deer no, it's or... definitely our, it's definitely the crp crp so yeah those wild grasses have made a huge difference um and i mean that, like i said that's where all the deer are we have one field that we actually have leased to the state every year in crp is 320 acres and we just don't usually get around to hunting it so we lease it through a walk-in program where it goes into where basically anybody who wants to hunt it can and it's open for um for one price that you get paid you get the uh the landowner can put it in for just small game where they can make a little extra money if they put it in for big game. My dad usually puts that in, but there's always like a huge herd of white does in that field. Um, and it's right off a paved road. Like it's 320 acres right off the paved road. And there's always, so but yeah, that CRP is definitely the difference. Um, and it's just been life changing for everything. Yeah. That sounds like for sure. So typically rifle hunting or bow hunting mixture of both. What, what do you guys so everybody with me is rifle only um for sure so that's it's just easier your shot like most of my shots i've taken have been under 60 so it's not like that far um 
the big buck I got in 20, uh, 2020. Remember that big one I got that was all pound meat? I think that was 2021. 2021, he, I believe, yeah. Yeah, I think he was uh, more like two, 220. But otherwise, all, all the other bucks I've shot out there have been under 60. And so it's just kind of a matter. The mule deer especially will just kind of hang out so you can get in pretty close. And as long as you, like, don't jump, jump them, they'll just kind of wait for 10 seconds before they leave. So you got time to set up and take a pretty close shot. And you're hunting, like I said, you're hunting tree rows. So there's three trees in a side row horizontally down that are all head way above your head, probably 15, 12, 15 feet high. And so you have like a narrow window, but it's like, if as long as he gets up in there and just stands there, which they usually do, you can just shoot him and not worry about it. And even with a bow, it would be the same kind of thing as long as you were pretty quick on your range. And yeah, but gotcha. I just haven't had, had the chance to take an animal with a bow just because the whitetails usually don't hang out. So I've tried to spot and stock them quite a few times just because I don't have any tree stands. I do have one ground vine, but I haven't played with it enough and knowing how it all works when like rifle hunting i have not not built a tag in one like within one day of the season being open wow. or one day of me started hunting with a rifle so it's also like i could spend a whole you know month trying to bow hunt or i can just invest one or two days and be fine with rifle time so yeah. the wife always wants me to do that one yeah i got you there for sure <laughs> The, uh, so you also mentioned pheasants, uh, at the beginning. And I know for, uh, the, the past couple seasons, you know, last season ended up not, uh, not being a, a good hunt out there or a good turnout for a hunt, I should say. And then this year, you know, you're a little concerned coming up about weather, but, um, you always offer it up to, you know, our fall obsession team to be able to come out there and join you for pheasants, uh, normally in early every year. So what does that look like out there as far as your, your pheasant hunting opportunities and, and how all that goes down? Yeah, so it's been really good minus, like I said, the last couple of years it's not been so great just because of the drought. But um, we basically walk uh, wheat stubble fields. And so we use a special kind of header when we harvest wheat called a stripper header. So normally the headers are the big wheels with blades on the bottom. They kind of move like this. And so the stripper headers instead are actually basically like easiest way to explain it is they're like spinning spoons. So they like scoop off the wheat instead of, and then they leave a lot more stubble. So like the old school normal headers probably leave stubble that's like ankle high, maybe just above the ankle, um, where ours will leave knee high everywhere, as long as your wheat sets all. Um, it just takes off the very end. So obviously it's a lot better place for the pheasants to live and, you know, deer like it too. They'll, they'll bed down in there and you won't be able to see them. But uh, that's been a huge difference too in our, in our pheasant population is that we've been able to do that yeah. we also hunt them in the fence rows and the trees um and then crp too there's um, several field several crp fields where we that's where we really have a good time gotcha i've never uh i've never experienced pheasant hunting so i'm always i'm always curious with some of the upland game mentalities well, and concepts so yeah we'll have to get you up here so you can try it out yeah i got a lot of stuff on my list man more than more than unfortunately more than i can cover in a season with uh with young kids and everything so yeah that's so i will get you up in the fall for a deer hunt and then we can do it at the same time because it's a season for pheasant space like mid-november through the end of january so as long as you have a later deer t uh later deer tag or you come later in the archery season it's, you can do it at the same time gotcha cool deal so um any 
as far as this year, what uh, were you able to do any hunting opportunities? Because I know you, we've mentioned your uh, your buck from 2021 that was an absolute mm-hmm. stud. I know we recorded a podcast on that. The the episode number specifically slips my mind, but it was in that fall of 2021. I know so. Listeners can go back and find that episode, uh, the Colorado Whitetail or something. I think is what we titled it, but yeah, something like that. It was. It would have been like this late December of that year. Yeah. Um. I uh. So I had told we had a our third daughter born this year, me and my wife, and so we had agreed that I wasn't going to get to hunt um, any big games. So like how the cycle works for licensing is so you put in in March, do like the first week of April is the latest, and then you find out in June, and then you get to go in the fall, of course. Well, so in March, we agreed I'm not going to put in for any tags. I'm just going to get points. So this year I spent not a ton of money, but, you know, 60, 70 bucks on points. And then I started to uh, cure Mountain Goat points. That was another 50 bucks in May because every time you get a point for them, you got to pay money. And 50 as a non-resident, 100 if you're – I mean, 50 as a resident, 100 if you're non-resident. So those get expensive. But yeah. So then the fall came around. And we had scheduled to go out to my grandparents, go out to the, my grandparents on the farm. So we go see them with my new daughter in September because she was born in August. And uh, like Tuesday before the week we were going to go on my trip, my trail, on my spike point, I get a picture of this giant bull elk. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and there are elk tags out there and it's like over the counter, no, like no limits. If you want to buy 50 of them, you got 50 of them. You just got to pay the money. Wow. Um, Season's good with any any rifle, muzzleloader, bow. Season's good from October first to January thirty first. It's like an insane season. Um, so just CP, the Parks and Wildlife doesn't want them out there because they don't want to pay crop damage on cornfields because that's what'll happen. Well, I think what had happened to get him to move there is Nebraska had a similar problem where they're paying out a ton of crop damage in a county like not the county next to us, but one over in Nebraska. And in July, they put out a huge hunt, like basically the same kind of deal. No no restrictions on number of tags you buy, but they made like non-resident tags $10 and resident tags $5. And if you're a landowner, it was like $2. Holy it was insanely cow. cheap to go buy as many as you want to go shoot elk. So like their whole elk herd dispersed and it pissed over the elk. It had been like a seven or eight point elk unit in Nebraska. Wow. And it was one of the, be- one of the best elk-, elk units in Nebraska. And it pretty much ruined the whole unit because, of course, they were just, like, going bankrupt from paying all these corn damages. Yeah. And so I'm sure from that, it just messed that herd up. And this lone bull just kind of, you know, we like I said, it's only about maybe 40 miles. So I'm guessing he just kind of followed um, down the river to us. And then there's a sand draw that goes from the river to my into my farm. And he was – the tracks that we found were going from the corner where my camera was down to and then the neighbor's part of the sand draw. Um Every, like, there was clearly he went there a couple times because you know his footprints were way better than any of the deer or anything. So, hmm. so I did technically hunt for like a day and a half after him, but it was more kind of like driving around and praying we see him because yeah. that's a, pretty much what it is. And and uh, out there, basically, my grandma can get permission from just about anybody. So I was like, we'll just keep on X open. I'll tell you where I'm at. You just call this guy, and that's kind of how it was going to work. But, yeah. So for, you know, half a day, the two days we were out there, we, we looked for him for a bit. But that was really my only hunting this year. But it's kind of more like wishing on a prayer. But it would have been pretty amazing. But, yeah, I got two good two good pictures of him one day. The first one was daytime, so that's why I was so shocked. And I was like, well, I'll go drop my 55 bucks and the very tiny chance he shows up or whatever. So, yeah. so I, I take it that's not very common for y'all to see elk out there. 
not necessarily near us like so our unit goes up to uh, like right near the highway it's kind of hard to explain but it's unit 93 if you look at a unit map but um closer to the highway they do sometimes get them to come down the river from the mountains because there's a river that runs all the way down there so they do see them there occasionally and there's a bunch of pronghorn right there in the big big sand hills and stuff um so you will occasionally have elk down there i've never seen one i mean besides the tri- these two pictures I, we had never seen one close to us or gotcha. you know so we we saw one if you will but not not really it just camera caught him at the right second but yeah um they're definitely moving more and then this year we also saw a lot more pronghorn moving through by us which was really weird because they have never been by us before so i, I don't know if it was just a disruption in, in where they're most usually are but uh we had we had two or three herds walk by of you know five or six does yeah. uh, a couple different times yeah so kind of on that note a little bit and and transitioning a little bit to another thing we wanted to bring up in this episode um you had mentioned to me and, and again as i as i alluded to at the beginning you're you stay very on top of all of the the colorado uh, draw applications and statistics and, and that kind of stuff. You're very well educated on that. Um, tell us about this, this thing coming up where Colorado's looking to get rid of some over the counter tags or you've, you've, you kind of mentioned that to me in passing before. So, yeah, so it's kind of up in the air, but they just had one of their meetings where they like release what their plan is and stuff. And one of the things they mentioned was either massive decrease to the number of units and number of tags issued or getting rid of over-the-counter archery elk altogether. Um, they kind of said it as like a one-off, like really quick comment, didn't take comments on it, so it's kind of weird. But, uh, huh. I mean, we'll see more when, like I said, the, the rule book actually comes out in March. So in about a month, we'll kind of get an idea. They'll have to make public comment on that again because it's already been brought up by every sportsman's group here like what the heck like that's not kosher um last year they did take either one or two units out of um over the counter and put them into draw only for archery i want to say it was like 84 i remember right or somewhere down in that area um down near kind of near pueblo but uh it made that one unit became went from over the counter to one point required for a resident to draw and two points for a non-resident to draw just because everyone thought it was the cool thing because it was new um it'd be way more restrictive obviously because then there's a limited number of tags versus the over-the-counter it's like you can have a million dudes show up and you just don't know how many dudes there can be like there i usually rifle hunts up in three and they have second and third season both have over-the-counter bulls and then the cows are the draw and so they issue 1,000 cow tags between second and third season um and I think they'll probably drop that to like, I've heard a rumor they drop that to about 850 just because of the wolf population there is actually um, growing. And then they have to do a forced reintroduction starting next year, 2024, um, based on some stuff that happened with the voters a couple of years ago. They got required to introduce wolves into parts of Colorado. So that's going to get fun. But huh. um, so we'll kind of see. But I, I think there are going to, if you have a lot of points in Colorado, it's probably a good year to use them because. You probably have two more years of no, not major effects by pro- new predators, but it's going to get interesting once those start getting here and things going from there. Interesting. So are there, with a wolf pop- population impacting like that, are they looking at hunting opportunities there or increasing something like that or not right now? Well, they'll fall under um, endangered species list to start with. So obviously it's going to be, 
years and years and years to let will happen. Um, Wyoming's population is not under endangered, endangered species list in the area I was talking about is like, it literally borders Wyoming. And, um, when I was up there elk hunting in January of 22, so the last like real hunt I went on, cause I had that special where I got to go on that private ranch hunt. I think there may be, I, we had a podcast, but I don't think you may remember that, but yeah, uh, we saw two wolves, me and two other, me and two other guys up there. Yeah. I remember that. Um, and we were about 15, 18 miles from the Wyoming border at that point. So it's like, they're already here. It's just a matter of like, now that they have to do a forestry introduction, all the ones they're getting introduced, are going to be GPS wired collared. So they'll, they'll know if somebody does something they're not supposed to do right. really easily. So, uh, people really need to like, think about that as much as they, uh, don't want them there. Like, you don't want to be that guy. Cause you're going to go to federal prison probably. Yeah. How does that affect? And you, you may or may not know, how does that affect farmers? So it'll depend. I mean, where my farm is, we won't have anything because they're not going to introduce them there. Um, I know they're having a, there's a couple towns um, sort of near where I go, a little more east and a little more north that are having some major problems with their um, cattle and or and their like, sheep dogs um, are getting pretty well, or at least had been getting taken out pretty hard. Um, I know, there was a couple of reports in the newspaper. Like one guy had like seven sheep dogs killed in a season, which usually he has like maybe one. Um, so obviously that's an expense for him. And then since they, there's no, like, since they're not, uh, there's no re, re, he can't get reimbursed for that or anything from the state. Whereas um, at this point they need to adjust that, I think. And then people will be a little less angry about it but i think there's some some things that need to be done there that i don't think are going to happen so yeah well that'll all be very very interesting to see how that plays out sounds like uh some some slightly controversial stuff on the table so yeah i'd say it it literally passed like 50.5 percent to 49.5 percent oh my god and almost every vote was from all the almost every vote was from three counties um, Boulder, Denver, and um, like one other one by me, and there were like almost there's not a county what, where it actually will be introduced that had any. It, it was even like in the majority, even even like it was like all of those were seventy five, twenty five or better. That's crazy. Golly. So we'll see what happens. It'll be it'll be interesting for sure. I, um, I mean, they're cool to see. Like it was absolutely breathtaking to see some, but uh, I don't want to see them every year. Tons of them over elk. You know, I want to. Yeah, I mean, and, they're they're cool, but at what expense, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. You can say that, that that unit's a nine, where a hunt is a nine-point pronghorn unit. It's going to go up worse than that. You know, it'll be an 11 or 12-point for rifle, that is. For archery, it's still like six or seven, because um, it just has the, the, the biggest population and the most. So everyone knows, like, if you actually want to get a pronghorn, it's one of the best places to go. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, it's not going to be an option. Uh, you know, I'm, I know by the time I get points, I'll, I'll, I'm planning on trying to get at 10, but it's not, I'm, I think I'm at five now. So I've got years to, years to go. And yeah. I may, I may have to rethink that and just take a different one and move on. Yeah. So I know you've explained it on a previous episode. I don't know exactly which one, but your, your long journey you're in the progress of doing right now and you actually mentioned it in passing a few moments ago with your your mountain goat tag what uh again i know you've talked about before but explain for us how that all works up there 
so for mountain goat, moose, and uh, bighorn sheep, are the big three in Colorado that you have to put in and pay extra money. Basically, you put in um, once you put in three times, you have your preference points, and then each one after that, you get a bonus point. And you have to have your three preference points to even put in for a unit unless there's a really weird circumstance like there's one moose unit where that's not the case but you're not going to draw it anyway so it doesn't really matter but um and then once you do once you have those three you start building a secondary point column um and then once you have enough you can maybe draw it so for for the good units with especially with a rifle you're looking at like three plus 25 or three plus 27 so give or take 30 and so I just started the mountain mountain goat climb, so I'm at one and zero. So I'll be at two and zero, and and they award them in May, and that's when you have to pay the extra fifty bucks or hundred bucks if you're non-resident. Um, kind of like how when you draw, you pay it and pay for your tag in June, but you put your application fee up front. So like I said, for me, it's like fifty, sixty bucks in app fees usually, and then this year it'll be higher just because they do an adjustment based on the cost of living index. And of course this year is like the worst one we've ever had. Right. So, uh, Turkey tags went up like crazy. So I'm kind of waiting to see what the non-resident, like the other tags go up, but it'll, uh, it'll be a big difference for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, so I'm guessing mine will be like 65, 70 bucks this year in that point. And then 50 bucks for the mountain goat point in May. And then hopefully in June I get hit for, you know, uh, an elk tag and a deer tag, and that'll probably be the two I draw this year. Gotcha. Well, very cool. Well, again, like I mentioned, we'll get you back on here uh, here in a month or two or whenever the time is right to get on here and talk about what the final verdict on all these things going on up there. I know we've done that in a, a previous couple seasons too, and definitely need to do it again this year for the, the Colorado hunt planning, annual hunt planning episode, if you will. So yeah um, for sure bring 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 a pen and a note for that one <laughs> yeah it's definitely a, a very educational episode and and one that benefits and is of interest to probably the, the the people who are wanting to go up there so we'll uh we'll make sure everybody's well aware of that when the time comes but it'll be a good one so yep um the last thing i want to talk about before we wrap it up for this week's podcast um is fall obsession and your your role as the as the western regional coordinator out there and then coupling that with um us wanting to actually get some growth going in our in our western region um and for the people who might be a new listener or or curious about it you know we've divided into five different regions as far as where we recognize our pro and field staffers here at fall obsession and a regional coordinator oversees each of those regions obviously tim uh, being the one in the western region, which is, uh, I don't know, kind of the, the the Colorado, Wyoming, Nevada, or excuse me, not uh, New Mexico line and west over from there. Uh, and Canada. And, and Canada. We're kind of rolling our, our Canadian staffers into, into Tim's region as well. But um, we're wanting to reach people who are out there out there in the West and, and get them plugged in as Fall Obsession staff members and as content contributors here. Um, so I'll, I'll open it up to you to, to say whatever you'd like to say about it. But all I have to say about it is if, if y'all are out there at West, come apply. If, if you yeah, hunt out I mean, West frequently, come apply. Yeah. I'd second that. Um, right now there's only a couple of them. There's three of us right now. 
um counting your canadian staffer who's definitely not in the west but that's that's fun so it's an it's always a fun group there so yeah if you're in canada or the western u.s let us know come, come say hey and put an application or even if you just have questions um we can talk figure out what's best for you if you you don't think that's what's up maybe we can find another way to to connect you um like i said every year we do a pheasant hunt at my farm so that's a, one motivating factor to think about it um this fall i'm working on putting together an elk and mule deer hunt um, next year we're definitely having one a lot of people in the midwest are wanting to go next year um just because of finances for them so they all know they got to put in this year get points so that they can go next year for deer because the area we could, we're going to go it takes it one deer point so i think they're all on board with that at this point at least from what i've heard from todd and a few other guys yeah. um so those are the big things there and then um we're going to put other hunts together out west if you have a cool situation um i know a lot of guys are interested in spring bear uh, we don't have a spring bear here in colorado but i know Idaho and Montana are both kind of on a lot of people's bucket list for that. So, uh, I'm sure we'll put one of those together in the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. Come, uh, come join us. And to give you guys an idea on, on the, the field staff program and then the application process, kind of how all that works. Basically we're looking for, uh, content creators that frequent or reside in these areas to, not only contribute just f cool photos and videos to our pages, but also educational content like educational videos or articles, whatever the case might be. Um, we build our platform and we are able to give our listeners and our viewers um, relevant content to the areas that they hunt because of our staff members, because of people like, like Tim or, or Todd and Tyler over there in the Midwest, whatever the case might be. I'm, I'm from Texas, so I can tell you all day long about hunting Texas, but I, I can't even begin to touch what Tim, for example, is educated on up there in Colorado and kind of that those Western United States. So um, th just an example of kind of what we're looking for as far as people to be involved, people to contribute. As Tim mentioned, these hunts and specific events, we are, you know, very family oriented. We want to build a tight knit group here of, of people that that get together on a on a semi regular basis, you know, for whether it's just to hang out and enjoy time together or to to hunt you know so uh, we try to make those opportunities as frequent as we possibly can the application process folks can go to fallobsession.com that's our website um, slash staff opportunities if you forget that just go to fallobsession.com and there's a button on there that'll take you to that page from there it'll explain kind of some more details on how the staff program works there's a form at the bottom of the page you guys can fill out that sends a message to our staff manager todd sellen and from there, he starts the application process, starts you guys getting plugged in. Wherever you guys are local to, he'll bring the, the regional coordinator like Tim into the loop on, on your status and everything. And things kind of progress from there. So that's to kind of give you guys an idea on how that process is going gonna, is gonna to transpire. So, Yeah. And just to echo what he said, I really encourage you putting in. It's an awesome program. Um, I've been here, I think, what, four years now? Almost five years now? Yeah, I was, was going to quite a while. So, yeah. Um, we've gotten some pretty incredible um, opportunities um, on the staff. You know, like uh, the the biggest one that I'm sure we've all talked about a million times was that 2019 deer hunt in, in Texas. And um, I think that will probably always be one of my favorite memories, at least until something way better happens staff-wise. But that, that hunt, I mean, that was something extra special that will never uh, – I'll never forget about. Yeah, that was that was kind of the one that got it all started, you know, as far as I, I mean the the region the regions and the coordinators and stuff, it came later. 
but um, that was the first official staff hunt that we ever had down here in Texas. I know, I, I think we had 10 or 12 guys in camp total. You were one of them. You came down from Colorado, uh, Drew and Andy and a bunch of other guys, Nick, were all in camp. And yeah, it was just a, a fun filled weekend. And in three days or two and a half days, whatever it was, we killed. Yeah, 30, not, not long. Yeah, we killed 31 whitetail deer on that management hunt. So it was an absolute bl- blast you literally had to come back to camp and wait in line for the for the skin and pole you know i mean yep (laughs) so it was it was a very fun time yeah well tim uh thanks for joining me this week i appreciate it we'll have you back on here very soon as we've mentioned for that uh that hunt planning episode and uh yeah appreciate you coming on sounds good for our listeners thank you all for listening Uh, If you haven't already, hit that follow and subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Fall Obsession Podcast is on all major podcast platforms, as well as Carbon TV, Waypoint TV, and our YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is where you can find the podcast videos as well. FallObsession.com is the website. Go there to find all of our content. Explore around on some of that educational stuff and those video series that we have. Pick you up some apparel. We got uh, some tumblers and some decals and stuff online right now that we just launched. So go check those out. Um, Social medias. We're on all the major platforms. Go follow. And uh, Ridge Rock Hunt Company. They are the podcast partner. Uh, Derek and Lacey over there in Mississippi. They book hunts. Uh, for vetted outfitters across the country. So if you're looking to set something up with uh, for that dream hunt you've been saving up for, give Derek a call. He'll work with you on timeline, pricing, licensing, all that good stuff to get you set up in the place that you need to be. Ridge Rock Hunt Company, go check them out. I'll also mention that if you or your brand are interested in advertising here on our podcast, as we just did for Ridge Rock, uh, be sure that you send us an email at info at fallobsession.com. And uh, we got plenty of different advertising opportunities on this podcast that are very affordable and that reach literally thousands of people across North America on a weekly basis. So let us know. Tim, thanks again. Thanks, Tim. All right, guys, we're back again next Monday for another episode. I'll catch you then. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.